The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk slash summer. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by Fraser Nelson and James Hill. Rishi Sunak has landed in India where he is on a trip in which he will meet Modi and he will talk about a UK trade deal with India. However, he has said today that he won't rush into that. Fraser, what does a good result look like when it comes to what Rishi Sunak is trying to get from this? Well, he wants to contrast himself with Boris Johnson, who he felt was too needy. He wanted to get it done by Diwali, etc. And that was a couple of Diwalis ago. Uh, and he had the idea that the Brexiteers were so desperate to provide some fruit of Brexit, but they would sign any old thing and Britain would get the wrong end of it. So he has said, OK, we're going to show the, the, the Indians that we don't really need them. We're happy to do this CTTP deal with the Japanese-Australian free trade. You know, we're going to make lots of friends, but we're only going to go for you on our terms. Now, realistically, I don't think this deal, which will be agreed soon, will be particularly significant. I mean, we will, um, God willing, send them, sell them some more whiskey. That will help whiskey producers across the UK. They will perhaps a few cars. The idea is that Tata, the Indian car-making giant, it's bought um, Jaguar Land Rover, is making a £4 billion gigafactory investment in Somerset. And therefore... That will create Indian pressure for India to drop tariffs on British cars, etc. So the idea is that we will sell them a bit more of our stuff and in exchange we'll get better access to invest in their markets. But the big change, I think, is the one in immigration. I think nobody's really looking at this. and It's not part of a trade deal. But that's because it's like one of these drug deals where you actually pass on the produce and pay the money afterwards. Like, they're going to do the free trade deal. Immigration will not be part of it. But... Previously, we have now seen a trebling in the amount of visas given to Indian nationals. One in every four visas issued right now is issued to an Indian national. Um, I think it's 1,500 a week are granted visas, and that is something like almost three times the number of EU citizens who collectively are given work visas. So we are already moving the British system very much in favour of Indians, but that isn't a policy choice for us, really. This is more employers working out who they want to. Um, now you've got parity of immigration. Indian India's got a very high stock of people who are very highly skilled. They speak English, three times as more English speakers in India than there are in, in Britain. And I think the invisible hand of the market is going to strengthen ties between Britain and India via the um, visas and also at the margins with the free trade deal. So I think this is more about choreography and about Sunak's Indo-Pacific tilt, as he calls it. Something you wrote about recently, James. Yes, I did. And writing for that cover piece, I was struck by the contrast in what the High Commissioner of India in London is saying about that you know visas aren't going to be part of this, the Indians accept that. And what publicly and privately British ministers and those involved in these discussions are saying that actually, you know, it's all about visas. But So I do think that, as Fraser says, there could be some kind of fudge here where it's not going to be in the trade deal about visas, but then we do see, you know, some agreement perhaps 
separately down the line. Um, so I think that's one thing to look out for. And I also agree that with what Fraser says that it's not so much about the economics of the deal. You know, you can have analysis of this which shows that it won't be a huge amount of impact. I think that's partly also because, remember, India's own economic history for four decades after independence up until the early 1990s, India had a very much more protectionist economy. Effectively, it was making goods in India and imports were discouraged. And in the 30 years since, they have liberalised at a very, very slow pace. The Americans and the Europeans have been trying for many years to try and get a deal. Australia signed a relatively limited pact. So I do think that kind of you know, hopes that we would get some unprecedented, very deep British access are unlikely to be realised. It's also worth looking at the timeline here. And next spring, um, there's going to be elections in India. Modi looks pretty certain to to win those but of course he wants basically to go off the back of this g20 tomorrow and that's kind of get into the head of the run-up for the local like the sorry the indian elections and show a sign of strength rather than kind of being seen to make too many concessions so it's really for both men a symbol as much as what the economic goods that it, it represents it's interesting that modi is really getting hassle at home for um giving too much access to the brits and um, there, there is talk about an indian brain drain like don't let india lose all of its um clever people to go off to these british universities or to go off to take these british jobs so it's interesting that i think both sunak and modi are under political pressure not to do an immigration deal. Although, if you ask me, it's already happened. Fraser, Rishi Sunak has told the travelling lobby pack that ultimately he he believes he will be welcomed as India's son-in-law during his visit to the country. And I think it points to how, I think, Dalian Street hopes Sunak's Indian heritage combined with the presence of his wife on the trip, daughter of one of India's richest men, and will mean that he gets a very warm reception. Do you think that those points are having any impact in terms of of the UK's links to India making it easier to have a good relationship? Well, his wife is kind of a Kate Middleton figure out there in India. She's probably higher profile than he is. I mean, her her dad created Infosys, the first truly global Indian company. Mm. And she herself is richer than the king. So yeah, I mean, he is seen there as sort of her husband, as it well, were. She's the heir to being richer than the king, isn't she? Or is she uh, currently no, richer? No, no. If you actually look at, look at her assets that she's got right now, okay. I think... Um, I stand the, corrected. Yeah. And, and by the way, they blinged up number 11. They refurbished it. I mean, already... You know, Downing Street is a, a far glitzier place, thanks to this Indian fortune. And that, but Rishi Sunak himself doesn't really regard himself as as Indian. He doesn't really know the place. He said that he's going to go. They're going to jointly visit the places when they were young. They used to go there together. And I don't think that. Of course, he is a, a visiting the first Hindu to lead a Western government. And the Indian press has been finding sort of Sunak uncles in various corners of India. And uh, it doesn't he doesn't seem to be going to visit them. I don't think he's going to do a Joe Biden who pretended he was Irish and presented his Ireland trip as, as a homecoming. Although controversially, Rishi Sunak did say that he would allow his daughters to support India against England in cricket as long as they support England in the football. And remember, of course, I think that we can take a step back here and remember that Rishi Sunak's grandfather was someone born in, you know, colonial India. I think he wanted, his village he grew up in, there was a there was a massacre there, cared there just after the Amritsar massacre in 1919. It is a significant moment for the, you know, for the many Indian people. And I think there's also a domestic consideration to this trade deal and through the lens which we're looking at it. I was talking to the Conservative Friends of India group, which now says to be the largest associate group of the Conservative Party, when they said they've doubled in membership over the last few years. And if you look at the few bits of bright spots that the Conservatives had in the local elections, Slough and Harrow, significant British Indian population there. And I think 
what's perhaps a little bit telling is that Labour have actually been fairly encouraging about this free trade deal, despite the concerns about the Trade Union Congress. That's because I think their stance in 2019, the last election, uh, when they passed a motion on Kashmir just before that, uh, was seen as hiding them. So I think that you know, was given given a big speech saying that you know they'll be a big friend of India if elected and so I think that as well as talking about the trade and the Indo-Pacific element there's also a domestic political consideration here. And just finally Fraser say there is an India trade deal in the near future it joins the Australia trade deal which um, I think divides opinion it's fair to say in the Tory party as to how much of a success it was. Do you think these are going to make any difference in a positive way for the Tories at the next election to say look here are some benefits of Brexit because it seems even though even Rishi Sunak is not sure how much he wants to say there you know the, the jewels of Brexit. Free trade deals tend not to win votes and they're you know the, it's one of these typical things where the benefits are dispersed but the, the pain is concentrated so for every free trade deal there'll be like you know sugar manufacturers in Norfolk saying hang on this is going to undercut our market etc so I don't think there's going to they're going to be also the other depressing thing is they couldn't really blow the skin of a sausage these free trade deals I mean the Australian one's pathetic it's nothing brought in over the course of 15 years the Indian one's going to be tiny I'd love to sell more whiskey to the Indians but you know it's not really going to be that much of a benefit through for the rest of the country. So I don't, of course, this does lead to a difficult question. What was Brexit for? What was all that fuss about? At the time during the campaign, I think there was talk about how we're all going to be eating, you know, cheap American food, getting iPhones a lot, you know, none of that really has has come to pass. So I think the, uh, the way I see it is that you can see a post-Brexit architecture coming into place here, because you've got the Indian trade deal, then Kemi Badenach, the trade Secretary is going to South Korea next, try to get another deal there. We've got the AUKUS nuclear submarine deal with Australia, um, free trade deal with Japan. So we are building allies in a part of the world that houses half of the world's population and is going to generate most of the world's economic growth. But this will be a slow burner. I think uh, the bigger impact, I think, will be when we're looking back in about 20, 30 years' time, at the post-Brexit demographics. So we're going to see, you know, we talk about Windrush now, but the numbers are rising from Nigeria, from India. Also, we've got um, something like a quarter of a million Hong Kong Chinese have come in the last few years ever since Dominic Raab did that. They're kind of dispersed, but nobody has quite worked out the immediate impact of all this. But I think it will start to become evident and um, change the face of the country. I suspect change it for the better. Uh, but this is never anything anybody gets thanked for at election time. So I do think that the the Brexit trade deals are a positive force. I think the migration, the change in the mix of migration is also a positive force. Uh, we're strengthening our ties with the other side of the world and we're underlining how Britain's a place that feels closer to Australia than it does to France. But none of these things are vote winners. Thank you, Fraser. Thank you, James. And thank you for listening.